Welcome to the Retire Notes podcast series. I'm Bruce Manners, the author of Retirement Ready and founder of the RetireNotes.com website. Today I'm in conversation with Joanne Earl. Joe is Associate Professor and Retirement Researcher at Sydney's Macquarie University. Welcome, Joe. It's good to chat again. Yeah, thanks very much for inviting me to talk about my research, Bruce. Today you're going to talk about cognitive decline. Let me start by asking the question, is there any good news about cognitive decline? Well, I'd like to think that it's not such a dark topic, and I think there's plenty of good news. So let me just quote some facts for you, because we focus on the people that are affected rather than the people that are not. Yes. So the rates that we currently quote in terms of dementia is that one person over 65 and three people over 85 will be affected by dementia. So let me just put that another way to you. Yes. Nine people over 65 will be well, and seven people over 85 will be well. Yes. But that doesn't stop people who are age 65 beginning to doubt themselves as if they're the one in ten. Okay, okay. And often it's over things that they wouldn't have even thought twice about when they were 35 or 45 or even 55. The greater danger is actually self-limiting behaviour. Oh, really? So with only one in 10, and, and what was the other? Three in 10? Three in, three in 10 over 85. Yeah. Often it's more about how we think about ourselves that is one of the big problems. Look, absolutely it is. And I think that what happens is people start to sometimes misinterpret those cues as, as a sign of dementia. Yes. When in fact it's just normal cognitive slips that we wouldn't have worried about earlier in life but by self-limiting our behavior and isolating ourselves okay you know stopping engaging in activities or social activities then we do increase the likelihood of being affected the older a person gets the more likely this is to happen to self-isolate well i I think they do you hear i hate this phrase sure Alzheimer's disease, you know, I've got Alzheimer's disease, or, you know, I'm just getting too old, you know, it's my old brain. And I think when people do that and they self-label, that's the view that they have of themselves. And that can be, I think, potentially more damaging than being realistic about the fact that we all forget things from time to time. Okay. Now, if someone wants to research online, where would they go to do this? I think one of the really good resources that people can go to is the www.dementia.org.au website. You can also call the people at that website. It's a 1-800 number, so it's free. It's 1-800-100-500. And you can phone, email, or web chat during the week, Monday to Friday. They've even got an after-hours service there if you need to talk to someone as well. Lots of fascinating facts about dementia and educational resources, tons of fact sheets to help people to understand different issues relating to dementia, whether or not you've been affected by dementia yourself or you're a carer of someone with dementia or you just want to educate yourself some more. Okay, let me give you those details again. Mm Dementia.org.au or call 1800-100-500. That's right. So what's the difference between dementia and Alzheimer's? 
Well, when you have a look at the website, you'll see that there are numerous different types of dementia. Yeah, there's that's one of dementia and Alzheimer's. Then there's other different types like Louis bodies, frontal lobe. So there's different types of dementia. And when you have a look on the website, you can read through all the different fact sheets. And, you know, early onset dementia versus age-related dementia. There's lots of information on there to help people, but probably one of the most useful things that they can do is to have a look at some of the symptoms of dementia to stop themselves from self-diagnosing and also know when maybe it's time to go and see a doctor. Okay. Here's an important question from me. Is forgetting a sign that dementia is on its way? Well, if that's the case, I think pretty much everyone at some point in their life must believe that they have dementia. You're not making me feel better yet. (laughs) Well, you know, I think I've certainly forgotten things, and if you haven't forgotten things, Bruce, then that's probably an even bigger concern. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Or or that you won't admit to forgetting things, that's an even bigger concern. So I think that there's lots of different ways that you get some insight, but not to start overthinking it. Go and see your doctor if you're really worried, and you can see a pattern of behaviour. Let me tell you about some of the sorts of things that you would expect. So, And these are things you can see from the dementia website, so go and have a look at those. Mm-hmm. So memory loss that affects day-to-day functioning. Okay, so it's not just memory loss, it's no. impacting on you, yes. Yeah, that's right. Difficulty performing familiar tasks, so they may forget the normal steps, for example, in making a cup of tea. Okay. Disorientation to time and place, getting lost, particularly if it's a familiar place or they've been there numerous times before. Yes. Um, like they've forgotten the regular way to get to their supermarket and they go to the supermarket once a week. That would be a problem. Sure. Yep, that makes sense. Problems with uh, language. So trying to find the right word. So you might be, for example, making a piece of toast and you can't remember the name for toast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that will happen from time to time, or they'll use inappropriate words. So they'll say things like, I've just put the butter in the toaster, but they mean the, the bread. The bread, yes. That sort of thing, yes. right? And all of these things would be happening potentially in combination, not just necessarily on their own. Sure, yes. Problems with abstract thinking. So it could be that they'll have a look at familiar tasks, like, for example, maybe a spreadsheet or a checkbook, and forget how to add the numbers up or how Mm -hmm. to make sense of the numbers. Yes. Poor or decreased judgment. So people will have difficulties making everyday decisions. Yes. Things like what to wear in cold weather is the example they use on the dementia website. So these are confusion in the brain is how it's appearing to me. That's right. Problems with spatial skills like judging distance or direction if they're driving a car. Mm Mm-hmm. Problems misplacing things. I mean, that's a really common one, right? We all misplace things. We sure do. My husband's particularly bad at that. I think I've spent, of the last year that we've been married, I think I've spent probably nearly two months looking for his wallet and his keys. (laughs) Which he appreciates, of course. Of course. That's why I'm pretty sure he married me. (laughs) And a person with um, dementia will put things in inappropriate places, so they might find that can't find the keys because they put the keys in the vegetable store of the fridge, for example. Mm -hmm. Changes in mood, personality, behaviour. So people with dementia can have rapid mood swings and not necessarily be able to determine why that is. Yes, 
and they might withdraw as well. And sometimes they, the withdrawal that you see is a result of being confused in that environment and not being able to understand what's going on. So they tend to be withdrawn. Other times they can seem disinhibited, that saying inappropriate things. Okay. So they wouldn't otherwise. One more thing. Yes. A loss of initiative. A loss of initiative is around, you know, starting new activities, losing interest in otherwise enjoyed activities, but that can also be a sign of depression. That makes sense. So withdrawal. This is quite a list. Someone with dementia, do they have all these things or just certain aspects? Or oh, some of them. Some of them will be, you know, more pronounced. But if the people are concerned about any of those things, then it's a good idea to go and see their doctor because then the doctor can take a baseline. Yes. And see whether or not things are changing or declining over time. And that's one of the big challenges that we've got in terms of being able to track changes in cognitive decline is we often don't have any baselines. It's hard for people to know whether or not, like my husband, you're the sort of person who always loses things. Yes. Or whether or not this is something new. Yeah. So a doctor is a good place to start if you have an issue or you think you have an issue. Yeah, absolutely. And then they can take a baseline. And if they're concerned, they'll organise to do some other testing for you. And it might be with a neuropsychologist, for example, or a neuropsychiatrist. Yeah. Do we know the causes? Look, not really. I mean, we know some cases can be identified from like a mutated genes that run across families from one generation to the next, but the vast majority of it's unexplained. So no, probably not as well as we'd like. We do know that it's more likely to be sporadic than familial. So most of the cases, we don't necessarily know any cause of it. Okay, so there are some hints that it does run in families, but it's, they're not strong. Well, sometimes, and I, I wouldn't necessarily assume just because someone in the family has been affected then that would be cause to think that you were naturally going to be affected or have to be the presence of a specific gene. Sure. So is there good news, research or something that's going to help? Is there a breakthrough coming? I think it's progressing all the time, but I think it's because we're more generally managing broader risk factors. Yes. And what I mean by that is that, you know, we know, for example, that things like exercise and diet and stimulation make a difference. So those things connecting with other people, all of those things make a difference, right? So I think people in controlling the risk factors will see a decline partly because of that. Sure. But I think where the biggest opportunity in this area is for tracking, and that's why I was referring to baselines before, I think where yes. the biggest opportunity is, is to give people easier access to feedback on what's on what what's happening with their memory and their functioning their cognitive functioning okay so that they could do something like an opsm for brains okay instead of getting your eyes checked you get your brain checked yeah and i know that sounds a bit scary for people but i do think that there's some value in understanding if there has been a decline so that you can plan ahead yes. and you know what's coming some of that can just help to reduce the amount of anxiety around what it might look like and also to put to rest any concerns that 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 is you, that that is the case for you. So the test would be, what, a brain scan? 
No, not necessarily. I think one of the things that I've been experimenting with, and I'm hoping other researchers will be as well, is using tablet-based technology where people can do online assessments to try to get a baseline of what their cognitive functioning is and then track it over time. Let's go back. By tablet-based, you mean the iPod-type thing? Yeah, an iPad or using a computer to... Do some tests that look and feel a bit more like brain training exercises Uh that will create a baseline that you'd be able to track over time over on a regular basis to see whether or not there's been any changes. And I'm not suggesting that if you do notice a change from one test to the next, you automatically push the panic button, but you might come back in six weeks after that and check and see if the results are the same. The thing that's sometimes complicating the assessments for cognitive decline is that if people have uh, depression, for example, and delirium, both of those things, can sometimes mimic the presentation of dementia-like symptoms. So that's why it's important to see a doctor in the first instance because the doctor will help to unpack what the situation actually is. Is it dementia? Is it depression? Is it delirium? Yes, because you need to know, don't you? Well, I think knowing can be helpful to planning ahead. Yeah. So what can we do to help avoid cognitive decline? Well, the four things that people are recommending, this is the latest research, is eating well, so the good old Mediterranean diet seems to be the way to go. Mm -hmm. Keeping active, so continuing to exercise, keeping the blood flowing to your brain is important. Yes. Connecting with other people, and that's keeping up with conversations, meeting up with people you know, maybe meeting people you don't know as well. Sure. That one seems a little strange, connecting with people. Yeah, because the conversations that you have with people, the conversation of going backwards and forwards sort of keeps your mind active as opposed to just maybe delivering a speech, for example, where you've got to think about what the other person is saying and then respond appropriately. That makes sense, yes. All of those things help, apparently. And uh, also keeping your mind active, learning new things, doing different things, discovering new things, going new places. Mm. Okay, so the four were eat well, Mediterranean plant-based diet, exercise, Mm -hmm. connect with others, and keep your mind active. That's right, yeah, and make sure that if you're concerned that you don't second-guess yourself, that you go and get advice from a doctor. Okay, thanks, Joe. I've been talking to Joanne Earl, an Associate Professor and Retirement Researcher at Macquarie University. And thanks to you for listening to this RetireNotes.com podcast. Mm-hmm.